Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And I hope you'll check them out at johnsonsairconditioning.com. That's the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests on the show today, including Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be continuing our conversation about the uh, cases that were reviewed by the Supreme Court this session. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books, his latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. We'll visit with Larry as well. It is August the 12th, and on this day in 1990, fossil hunter Susan Hendrickson discovered three huge bones jutting out of a cliff near Faith, South Dakota. They turned out to be part of the largest ever Tyrannosaurus rex skeleton ever discovered, a 65-million-year-old specimen dubbed Sue after its discoverer. Amazingly, Sue's skeleton was over 90% complete, and the bones were extremely well-preserved. Hendrickson's employer, the uh, Black Hills Institute of Geological Research, paid $5,000 to the landowner, Maurice Williams, for the right to excavate the dinosaur skeleton, which was cleaned and transported to the company headquarters in Hill City. The Institute's president, Peter Larson, announced plans to build a nonprofit museum to display Sue along with other fossils of the uh, same period. In 1992, a long legal battle began over Sue. The U.S. Uh, Attorney's Office claimed that Sue's bones had been seized from federal land and were therefore government property. It was eventually found that Williams, a part Native American and member of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe, had traded his land to the tribe two decades earlier to avoid paying property taxes, and thus his sale of excavation rights to Black Hills had been invalid. In uh, October 1997, Chicago's Field Museum purchased Sioux at a public auction at, at uh, Sotheby's in New York City for $8.36 million, financed in part by the McDonald's and Disney corporations. Sioux's skeleton was on display in the Field Museum in May 2000. The tremendous T-Rex skeleton, a 13-foot high at the hips and 42 feet long from head to toe with a 2,000-pound skull, can you imagine that? And 58 teeth it displayed in a special exhibition space. Sue's extraordinarily well-preserved bones have been allowed uh, scientists to determine many things about life uh, of T-Rex. They determined that the carnivorous dinosaur had an incredible sense of smell as olfactory bulbs were each bigger than the cerebrum the thinking part of the brain. In addition, Sue was the first T-Rex skeleton to be discovered with a wishbone, a crucial uh, discovery that provided support for scientists' theory that birds are a type of living dinosaur. So interesting. And life gets complicated, doesn't it, with land ownership? Interesting. So a few uh, thoughts about COVID-19. Seven additional deaths and 39 new cases of COVID-19 in Cuyahoga County on Tuesday. With 230 tests, the state identified the newest victims as a 71-year-old man with, who tested positive uh, in July 15th, a 63-year-old man, the case counted in July the 15th, an 84-year-old man who had contact with a known case. This is a pretty desperate here. These types of 
associations with COVID-19, a 74-year-old man who had contact with a known case in July 27th, and an 85-year-old man who had contact with a known case on July 27th, a 100-year-old man counted on August the 1st, and a 79-year-old man counted on August the 10th. So when you read the news, what you're saying is there seems to be a lot of disappointment. There's only 39 additional cases, but, you know, only 230 tests. Uh, but there are seven deaths. None of them happened uh, at the uh, yesterday, but uh, and a real tenuous association with COVID-19, I would add. The seven-day average has dropped to 82 cases. It's down from 220 on July the 13th. 123 patients have been treated in Collier County hospitals currently as of yesterday. So that number is dropping. I think it was up to over 140 at one point. The county also had has 19.5% uh, per of its total hospital beds available and 33% of its adult ICU beds available. So again, flattening the curve. We don't want to overwhelm health care. And apparently that is only getting better and better. We can only hope that we're seeing a downturn here in Cuyahoga County. And by the way, this reflects what's happening in Florida as well. Well, the big news yesterday, Kamala Harris, the California senator with a law enforcement background that has caused some tensions with the progressive left, was announced Tuesday by Joe Biden as his running mate. She makes history as the first black woman to serve as a major political party a party's VP pick. Now, she's uh, not African-American. Her father is from uh, Jamaica. Her mother is Indian from India. So, uh, to, but nevertheless, her, the skin of her, uh, her color of her skin is black. So they're calling her a black woman. I'm honored to join him as the party's nominee for vice president to do what it takes to make him our commander in chief, she tweeted. Biden tweeted on Tuesday, back when Kamala was attorney general, she worked closely with Bo, but now Bo was her, his uh, son, the one who died from a brain tumor. I watched as they took on big banks, lifted up working people and protected women and kids from abuse. I was proud then and I'm proud now to have her as my partner in the campaign. Now, as he's reading this off, this is a tweet, but when he's making his announcement, he had notes in front of him to, <laughs> to, to make the announcement. He was reading the, uh, the announcement. Uh, Sleepy Joe. Anyhow, the decision following months of secret meetings and closely held deliberations would indicate the former vice president is setting aside their friction from the primary campaign. Harris memorably drew sharp contrast with Biden when she challenged him on the debate, debate stage over his resistance to federally mandated desegregation busing. Remember that comment? Signaling the campaign's line of attack against Harris, President Trump responded by tweeting out an attack ad soon after the announcement and called her phony Kamala Harris. Now, you may recall, she said that women, uh, a young child waiting for a bus and all that, going to a school, and she said, I was that girl. Uh, that was a high point, actually, in her campaign. Her uh, popularity, finally, at the end of her campaign, dropped to 7% in California. Anyhow, going on, the Trump campaign also released a statement from Katrina Pearson, a Trump 2020 senior advisor that said, in her failed attempt at running for president, Kamala Harris gleefully embraced the left's radical manifesto, calling for trillions of dollars in new taxes and backing Bernie Sanders' government takeover of health care. She's proof that Joe Biden is an empty shell being filled with an extreme agenda of the radicals on the left. Tucker Carlson said of the two of them, together they stand for nothing. I think he got it right. 
The now presumptive Democrat presidential nominee selection amounts to a vote of confidence in the senator's political ability and her background and a willingness to move past the bad blood. The decision may have been tipped days earlier when he was photographed with taking point, talking points saying of Harris that he does not give hold grudges and has great respect for her, quote-unquote. The choice also fulfills a commitment from the former vice president made in March to name a woman as a running mate. Now, naming a black woman at this time when issues of racial inequality are front and center also responds to the signals from some circles in the, in the party that such a choice could help build bridges with the black community, which, by the way, I think he's burned in considerable degree uh, with some of the comments that he's made recently. Former President Obama praised the pick. Joe Biden nailed the decision, Obama said in a statement, by choosing Senator Kamala Harris as America's next vice president. He's underscored his own judgment and character. Wow. Biden's naming of 55-year-old Harris as his running mate comes 13 months after she flattened him on the debate stage in Miami at the first Democrat presidential primary showdown. During the debate, she, Harris criticized uh, comments by the former vice president spotlighting his ability to find common ground during the 1970s with segregationist senators with whom he disagreed and his opposition decades ago to federally mandated school busing, which we've talked about. In any event, uh, any event uh, Harris... <clears throat> is the vice president, uh, Kamala Harris, is the vice president uh, nominee. Uh, you may recall some T Tulsi Gabbard kind of uh, brought her down. The former vice president accused Harris of keeping nonviolent prisoners behind bars during her tenure as California attorney general because they were a source of cheap labor for the state. What happened, along with a federal judge, and, and enough is enough, and he freed a thousand of these people, uh, Biden said and argued that Harris was forced by a judge to release prisoners. Gabbard also ju jumped to a land heavy he to land heavy blows, accusing Harris of keeping people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. So uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for attacks on both sides. I would say uh, the convention's coming up on August the. Uh, 17th, after, shortly after the announcement, Trump campaign senior advisor Katrina Pearson blasted the move, citing past clashes between Biden and Harris during the Democrat uh, primary. Not long ago, Kamala Harris called Biden a racist and asked for an apology she never received. This goes on. You may also recall that she had an affair when she was 29 years old with Willie Brown, who really catapulted her uh, career uh, in politics. And uh, he's made kind of, uh, I would say, given her faint praise since then. This segment of the show brought to you by Johnson's Air Conditioning, Johnson, uh, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bob Levy. He is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. 
what I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is an author himself. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Great organization. Cato.org is the website. So, Bob, uh, we've been reviewing the Supreme Court decisions that have been made in the last term, and I'd like to pick up with the, uh, the election coming up. The court weighed in on two issues. First, let's discuss the faithless electors' decision. Yeah, this was two uh, cases consolidated, one in the state of Washington and one in Colorado. And the issue is whether the states can punish or even replace presidential electors who refuse to support the winner of their state's uh, popular vote. So in Washington, um, three electors faced fines because they supported Colin Powell and not Hillary Clinton back in 2016. Uh, their votes were counted. 
as were, by the way, the votes of about 150 of these faithless electors over the 20 elections or so that have occurred since 1796. Uh, In Colorado, an elector voted for John Kasich instead of Clinton. And that elector was later removed and not counted. Uh, There are 32 states plus D.C. that require these uh, electors to vote for the person to whom they're pledged. And there are varying remedies if they don't do so. So the Washington Supreme Court held uh, that the Constitution explicitly confers broad authority uh, on the states to dictate the manner and mode of appointing electors and nothing, said the Washington Supreme Court, suggests that electors have discretion to cast their votes um, without limitation or restriction by the legislature. But in the Colorado case, the Tenth Circuit disagreed and said electors are free agents and they can exercise an independent and nonpartisan uh, judgment. And the Colorado court said once the voting begins then the state can't interfere. The state can dictate how to appoint the electors, but not what happens once the elector decides how to vote. So that was the issue before the Supreme Court. Man, it's so complicated. So, yeah, and, of course, the Constitution says that it doesn't say there's any kind of popular vote whatsoever. The electors make the decision. So this is so interesting. How did the case turn out? Nine zip. Uh, Kagan wrote the opinion. So uh, <clears throat> not much division there. Yeah, And the, the conclusion was a state can penalize or remove an elector <clears throat> for breaking his pledge. Uh, Article 2, uh, said Kagan, uh, appoints, uh, the appointments power gives the state far-reaching authority over presidential election electors. And absent uh, some other constitutional constraint, such as the Equal Protection Clause, for example, uh, nothing in the Constitution prohibits the state's from taking away the discretion that these electors, some of them, claimed that they had. Um, The framers um, may have intended uh, that the electors have discretion, but they didn't put that in the Constitution. They didn't didn't relegate that to the printed page. Uh, Interestingly, Thomas and Alito concurred in the opinion, and their logic was a little different, and they said, look, when the Constitution is silent, the authority resides with the states yeah. or the people. So this is an indication where the court is paying attention to the text of the Constitution and not necessarily to the intent of the framers, because it's pretty clear that the framers did intend for the electors to have some discretion. So interesting. So, Bob, I guess each state then determines how the electors are chosen by their Constitution or by, some, by laws that have been passed or policy? That's right, and technically the... Uh, the it doesn't even have to be by vote. You know, they, they could do it by coin flip if they chose to do so. Huh. However, the 14th Amendment says that if you deny the vote uh, to, originally it said white male citizens over 18, of course that's all been changed, but if you deny the vote for presidential elections to your citizens, then you're penalized because you lose representation in Congress. So while there's no technical provision requiring a popular vote, there is a practical constraint yeah. that requires the states to give the vote to the people. So interesting. So the second voting-related case was about the use of absentee ballots. Yeah, this was a case uh, in, in Alabama, and uh, there was a 5-4 denial by the court of a request for an emergency order. There were no opinions in the case. 
but basically, it, the conclusion is that Alabama did not have to abide. For now, of course, bear in mind, this is only about a, a request for an emergency order. This is not a decision on the merits. So for now, uh, the, Alabama didn't have to comply with a lower court directive that said they had to make absentee ballots available much easier than they currently were available in light of the uh, pandemic. And basically, the conservatives are saying, look, this this may be a case that comes up and we may have to decide it, but we're very close to an election and we're not going to make changes at this time. Mm-hmm. And by the way, yesterday, the court uh, weighed in and, and, and said the same thing in a very similar case. So interesting. So the final opinions released by the court involve President Trump's financial records. They're two separate opinions. Tell us about the case in New York City. Yeah, this was uh, Cyrus Vance, the Manhattan DA, who wanted, um, he got a grand jury subpoena for eight years of Trump's tax records. Now, these are records held by Trump's accountants. And Trump claims uh, that a sitting president should be categorically immune from state criminal process. Uh, Vance said he wanted to investigate some false business dealings in connection with hush money paid to Stormy Daniels and, uh, you know, the Playboy model, Karen McDougal. So the, the Second Circuit had ruled against Trump, saying that the subpoena was proper. And because the personal information was held by a third party, it wouldn't likely impair the president in performing his duties. And that's how the case went up to the court. And the court was required to decide if the Second Circuit was correct in that regard. Hmm. So what was the court's holding? Another uh, broad decision, uh, Roberts 7-2, uh, the, uh, the uh, Alito uh, dissented and Thomas dissented. <clears throat> but the other conservatives were on board with Roberts. And they concluded the president is not absolutely immune from the obligation to provide documents to a federal or state uh, grand jury that's conducting a criminal investigation. Hmm. And in fact, uh, the court doesn't even apply a heightened standard in that regard when a state grand jury subpoenas the president's records. They're making a distinction there between a state subpoena and a federal subpoena. If it's a federal subpoena, we have separation of powers concerns. We have one branch of government intruding on the other. But when the requests it, we don't have those concerns. So the president can still go back and challenge the subpoena on the grounds that it impairs his ability to perform or that it punishes him for actions that took place before he was involved as president. Um, But he does not have uh, absolute uh, immunity. Thomas and Alito dissented. They also would not have given the president absolute immunity, but they would have required a heightened standard before this subpoena would be hmm. uh, allowed to be executed. So interesting. And as I understand it, too, this did, this did not make his uh, financial records public. It simply was going to the available to the grand jury. That's right, assuming, of course, that these secrecy requirements are uh, obeyed. <laughs> Well, Bob, I would like to continue this. We'll have to pick it up next week, but I just genuinely appreciate your coming on the show. Again, the Cato Institute, cato.org is the website. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs) 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. I think it's a moral imperative, and I proudly serve on their board. Again, the Foundation for Government Accountability, thefga.org, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, and he's also the author of Josephus of Oz, a terrific read off topic for today's discussion. But, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be back with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, Kamala Harris has been anointed as the vice presidential candidate. There's a lot to say about that. What what are your thoughts? Well, as we found out last night in the Tucker Carlson show, the pronunciation pronunciation of her name is Kamala Harris. Oh. I I think we have to stand all corrected on that. Yeah. Uh, Kamala Harris, on on first blush, uh, seems like a negative choice, and that is the the read I'm getting from most uh, right-wing commentators. Um, the uh, New York Times last night, I think, uh, condemned her with faint fan pra- praise. They indicated her, her her attributes were broad appeal, hard to imagine that. Governing shops, uh, where I, I see no governing background, and something they called political panache, which, uh, where they, which they indicated because she was willing to challenge uh, uh, Joe Biden on the issue of, of, uh, of busing. So... Uh, they offered nothing uh, specific that would indicate that Kamala Harris is a strong candidate. 
now, then we have to consider why, why was she chosen. If we start out with the notion that uh, Biden's universe of choices was about five people, that is eligible black women, that is how he limited himself, uh, she, she may be within that very limited group the best choice. And why would I say that? Uh, she's articulate, she's aggressive, and very nasty. Uh, I think we're going to see a campaign that will be uh, um, attack-oriented, uh, very vulgar, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when we see the debates between Kamala Harris and, and Mike Pence, I think it's going to boil down to uh, Harris attacking Donald Trump consistently during those debates. And then the question will be whether Mike Pence can hold up to that and, and defend the president. So I think what you're looking at with the choice of Harris, if there's any upside for the Democrats, uh, is that she will uh, strengthen uh, the Dem base that uh, may have been drifting a bit from Biden because of Biden himself, mm-hmm. and try to bring them back to the understanding that they are strong, they are focused in one area. That's the defeat of Donald Trump, and I think that is exactly what Kamala Harris is about. Yeah. You know, I, the other thing is that uh, in a, some perverse way, she's also perhaps uh, uh, giving an up, uh, uh, underscoring law and order because <laughs> she kept people in prison that, quite frankly, she shouldn't have kept in prison. So uh, at least she's got that in, on her resume. Well, it, it may be a, uh, a situation that they wanted to have there in the background, at least. In other words, this uh, prior association with a strong law and order position, particularly right now with the riots that we're seeing. Um, that there's a subset issue, which uh, I'm, I'm not going to bring up as a real issue, but it's an interesting subset, is whether uh, Kamala Harris is eligible for, the, for this uh, role as vice president, and she must be eligible for president to take that role. And again, I'm not going to make this an issue, but it's just interesting to consider. She is an anchor baby. She was born in Oakland of two parents who were neither of which was an American citizen. Depending upon the reading of the 14th Amendment, she may or may not be a naturalized citizen. Mm. It's just an interesting academic debate, but uh, uh, as with the Obama situation, it has no legs, nor, nor should it have legs. Uh, but again, it's it's just an interesting thing to consider for the for this uh, election situation. So uh, our uh, Tucker Carlson uh, last night said that that they're both together. Neither of them stand for anything. They stand for nothing. I think was his comment. So I I think that was a pretty good summation. Two empty suits. What are your thoughts? Well, I, the New York Times describes that as um, uh, political ideological flexibility, of course. And what, what that means is exactly what you just alluded to, Bob, is they stand for nothing and will shift in uh, any way they are told to shift. And I think both Biden and Harris will be in that model. Uh, the money coming in from, uh, uh, from uh, big tech, from, from Wall Street, uh, I think most of it, as best I can understand, was directed in support of Kamala Harris, and she did show up very well in liberal polling in terms of the vice presidential slot. So um, I think we uh, we tend to be premature in, in, on the right in terms of suggesting this is a big win for Donald Trump, that uh, Kamala Harris was, uh, was nominated. I think, as with everything in politics, uh, the, the future is yet to be written. So uh, let's see how that plays out. I, I, immediately, my response is exactly the same. Uh, I think she was a, a horrible choice. I think she will help. Donald Trump, but yet let let's see how this plays out in the debates, particularly the uh, the, the Harris uh, Pence debates, which will will be upcoming. Bob. Yeah, I've been very impressed with Michael Pence. I if, uh, through this entire uh, pandemic thing, he I think he just really his star was bright. He he did a great job. So be interesting to see. Uh, 
Any comments at all about Tucker Carlson? Well, you know, as with most people who are conservatives, I, I have an admiration for Tucker Carlson. He's been uh, penetrating. His research has been excellent. But I've noticed uh, over the last actual couple of months that he will almost never make a positive comment about Donald Trump. Uh, he falls short of being a never-Trumper, but I think he is not someone who is actively supporting Donald Trump. Uh, last night, I thought that was highlighted. Uh, there was an author on, uh, Madeline Westerhout, who was a, uh, a White House staff person who was fired with good cause. She comes on the show, and uh, Carlson invests the entire, let's say, 10 minutes with her talking about why she was fired, rather than the, the, the <laughs> themes of the book itself, which were extremely pro, pro-Trump. Mm-hmm. So here we have a situation where a woman is fired. She writes a book extolling the virtues of Donald Trump that she saw firsthand, and Carlson does not mention those, those uh, content areas of the book whatsoever. Yeah. Following Madeline Westerhout was Richard Goodstein, a, a Democratic operative, yeah. and he makes several erroneous claims about Trump's sexual proclivity, uh, and Trump leaves those remarks totally unchallenged. Uh, this is something I've noticed with Carlson again over the last few months. Um, he, he doesn't seem to be willing to enter into direct positive comments of, of Donald Trump. Hmm. Uh, at this point, he's the best we have, perhaps him and, uh, of course, the Russian uh, with, with Hannity. Uh, but again, he is the most widely listened to and viewed uh, political commentator in America today at this point. Oh, I, so you know, my preference, obviously, is that he become more directly focused on on, on supporting the president. Well, it, perhaps he doesn't make uh, positive comments about the president, but uh, what he does do is bash all the issues that uh, the Democrats support. So I think he's done a great job. In fact, he is he is my favorite commentator, and I'm not alone because apparently his show is more popular than any other uh, show, news show, uh, on television, cable or otherwise. There's no doubt, and it's the one thing that my wife and I both come together on every night. We we sit there at 8 o'clock, and we watch Tucker Carlson together. That That's what we do. So I, I'm not offering general disparaging comments about Tucker. Right. I, I'm just noting a propensity that I think is there, uh, his lack of direct support for, uh, for President Donald Trump. He may not even be aware that he's not doing yeah. it. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it's, to me, it's become rather glaring and obvious, Bob. Well, you know, perhaps in his role, he, he, he's... Uh perhaps reluctant to, to voice that kind of support. So it's an interesting point that you're making. You know, let's have so many other things I want to talk to you about. Andy, can you stick around? I'm going to be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there.
Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us on, on the show here. You know, the uh, discussion of St. Matthew's House reminds me of Lulabee's Diner, where Andy and I had breakfast yesterday. It was such a delightful experience, and I do a great job with breakfast and lunch. We're located right there in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Again, Andy Joppa, thank you so much for joining us. I would like your uh, listeners to note that you did pay. Sorry. <laughs> that was uh, the rumor about you, Bob. Well, I held out for as long as I could, but you didn't reach for the check, so I... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I have short arms. I yeah, try yeah. my best. <laughs> okay, Andy. So, hey, by the way, we got beat to the punch just like Spudnik. Uh, the vaccine came out. Russia's got they didn't do phase three or with the uh, as we do, but nevertheless, what are your thoughts on this? Well, Russia has announced they have a, a vaccine that works. They're going to be going into human, uh, not even trials, but the direct human utilization at this point. Uh, I think the reaction from too much of America was predictable. In other words, instead of saying, "Wow, well, isn't isn't that great? Let's let's take a closer look at it. Let's let's get on board that uh, that train if it if it seems to be doing the job." Uh, there's nothing but negative pushback. They haven't uh, fully gone through their clinical trials. Mm-hmm. They, you know, and many of these things are suggesting the Russians would have to do would take years uh, to go through the extended safe testing period as they would have it. So again, I think what we're seeing uh, in the Russian uh, vaccine situation is another example of a constant pushback of, against ending uh, the COVID-19 threat. And uh, mm. uh, that's unfortunate. If this vaccine is uh, is, uh, is uh, purposeful, uh, then I think instead of condemning it, we should be immersed as best we can in taking a deeper look at it immediately yeah. to bring this to the world audience, Bob. It reminds me of the watchmakers that refused the, to look at the digital watch back in the day <laughs> because they were so uh, so married to the technology that they had of the of the of the clock of the watch uh, that just had a, a dial and a and the and the me- mechanics inside the watch, but uh, you know this new technology wouldn't accept it. So uh, maybe that's also an expression of supporting the fr- supporting the bureaucracy that we have and resisting outside influences. Well, I, uh, that's relatively benign in what you're suggesting. I, I think uh, I, if I was to be cynical, and I tend to be, uh, I would suggest that they're willing to um, uh, 
put more lives at risk and, and lives will be lost if this is a valid, um, useful product, this vaccine from the Russians, uh, and the pushback may prevent that from coming to the American market in a timely f- uh, fashion. Good point. Uh, so again, I, I've seen that all too often as uh, during the entire COVID-19 circumstance, the willingness, in my estimation, Bob, to, uh, to risk human life for political ideology. Yeah, great point. Say, so I want to move to uh, Attorney General William Barr was on the Mark Levin show Sunday night. I think he, he, I thought he did a fantastic job. I don't know if he had an opportunity to see that, but I think it was a breath of fresh air when it comes to law and order. Well, look, I, I, I did see that, by the way, and I, I really admire uh, Attorney General Barr. I think he's one of the finest men in the uh, American government. He's honest, a straight shooter, and he measures his words. Uh, and again, but at the end, I, I come away with this feeling that uh, there was nothing offered that was a, a solution, uh, even when uh, Levin uh, asked him about the possibility of, of criminal indictments on the left. Barr went through this extended uh, series of comments about why it's so slow with uh, Durham and so forth. So rather than uh, setting up the optimism that would be inherent in his office fully functioning to uh, bring criminal actions uh, under indictment and and move rapidly towards some fulfillment, uh, there was nothing offered uh, that would would suggest any cure for the for the rioting situation or for the criminal activities taking place in the bureaucracy. And I I, I really hate to be uh, negative as I I guess I'm being on today's show, but uh, I wait for uh, Barb as I do admire him uh, to start moving towards uh, end endpoint conclusions of these things. And I I sense none of that in the Bar Levin uh, interview. So that's so uh, just, inter- just my comment. That's so interesting. I, I had a totally different experience of that. He, he condemned the rioting. Uh, there have been arrests, uh, the, the, both on a state and a federal ba- basis. I just read the uh, uh, head of Antifa, or was it the Black Lives Matter? It was Black Lives Matter in California. He's ended up facing 15 years in prison, has been indicted uh, on several counts of uh, and misdemeanors. So, uh, and and uh, he he said, uh, well, for it's it's a secular religion as a substitute for religion. He's talking about the uh, about the uh, about the left. I mean, yeah, I thought he made a, it was a very strong uh, stand for law and order. I think he did a great job. I, I guess it's to a large extent what what you're hoping for. So mm-hmm. uh, what I'm hoping for is that the uh, federal bureaucracy, particularly the intelligence agency and the national police force, that's the FBI, uh, are are going to be reined in. That there are uh, strong comments that would uh, would support uh, the fact that there's been obvious criminal activity, uh, certainly directed at the. Uh, the Trump campaign, and then the Trump administration, and I, that is what I was looking for. Yeah. So there's, there's no doubt that in these specific areas you refer to, yes, Barr has been the best we've ever had, I believe, Bob. Yep, yep. But I, I guess I'm looking for more than that at this point. Well, you know, he's, he's in a uh, tenuous situation right now because he's got this investigation going on. We've got an election coming up, and he needs to yeah, have arm's length distance away from John Durham and what he may come up with, and I certainly understand that. Otherwise, it takes on political overtones. So uh, I'm, I, now I, I, I'll be very disappointed if we don't see something happen happened by Labor Day from John Durham. That would be very disappointing. Durham has been uh, functioning in this capacity for 14 months. Yeah. Now, what I do know, and I'm not suggesting this should be lauded, but I do know the Democrats, given exactly the same situation, would probably have 20 people in jail by now. Now, I don't like that kind of rush to justice either, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, to see this thing dragging out for such an extended period of time, uh, and I'm not saying it should have been done because it would have helped Trump. 
I, I just think it would have helped uh, the American people in gaining a greater sense of the of the nature of the American judicial system and the legal system. So uh, that has been disappointing to me. So, uh, again, it's all within, uh, I guess, the individual perspective on these things. But mine is this this should have been taking place a long time ago, Bob. What I appreciate is John Durham, there have been at his his entire program, his entire uh, research and, and effort, investigation has been airtight. There have been no leaks whatsoever. So, And I, as I understand it, there's going to be indictments. Uh, I'm disappointed to understand that it may not be Comey and it may not be, um, who was the head of the CIA? It, the, I've forgotten his name now, but Brennan. But irrespective, I mean, they. Uh, I have high expectations for this and I respect the process. I, I feel a little differently than but, you do. Let's see how you feel, let's say, in the uh, middle of November, if Donald Trump has lost the presidential election oh. that he would have won <laughs> yeah. if there was a complete public awareness of the criminal activity taking place driven by the left. Hmm. You know, I, and I, I certainly will, will feel, I, I can't even tell you the emotional word I'll, I'll feel, if, if that information, valid information, not political information, yeah. valid legal information was not brought forward in a timely way, and that uh, uh, contributed to the defeat of Donald Trump, uh, I'm just not going to be a happy camper, Bob. You know what, Andy? I totally agree with that sentiment. Totally agree with it. So, uh, I mean, the wheels of justice grind very slowly, but they grind fine. I just can't believe that Michael Flynn is still, <laughs> still, <laughs> this en banc court has decided, I guess they're putting off the decision until October now, which is just it's, unbelievable. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. With all the documentation we have about how Flynn was lured into a situation with intent uh, to have him c- commit perjury. Uh, it's just outrageous. It's been well documented. And yet here, here Flynn sits still under, under threat of, of, uh, of, of serious criminal challenge. Andy Jopp, again, the author of Josephus of Oz. By the way, I, I post his, uh, most of his, uh, his newsletters. What do you, I guess we call it your blogs or your commentary. Uh, which I, are, I like to think of them as academic essays, Bob. Academic essays. <laughs> so I post them. If you look, go to my website, you'll find a, a tab. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Just p- uh, click on that tab, and you'll find many, in fact, the last year or so, of Andy's uh, uh, academic essays. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Next time, I pay for breakfast. Okay. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with Larry Bell. He's an endowed professor at the University of Houston. He's also the author of several books. His latest just came out, How Everything Happened, Including Us. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. 
imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And I proudly serve on the board. I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's author, also the author of seven books, I believe, uh, his latest I've really started uh, already started reading how everything happened, including us. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Robert, thank you for inviting me. My pleasure indeed, Professor. Well, so we have, now I'm not sure how to pronounce the name. I've been corrected by my last guest, Kamala. Kamala Harris is now the vice presidential nominee or to serve on uh, uh, Bi- Joe Biden as he runs for president in the Democrat Party. So uh, you've been made a lot of, in fact, one of your books, uh, Scared Witless, The Prophets and Prophets of Climate Doom, addresses this whole issue of climate change and alternative energy sources. What are your your thoughts with regard to her uh, choice? Well, there weren't weren't any good choices from my standpoint. Yeah. uh, For Biden and, uh, but the energy, energy is one of the big issues that I'm, very concerned about. She was one of the co-sponsors of the Green New Deal, and she's been talking about anti-fracking and all this crazy stuff. But uh, and Biden is sort of seen as kind of an empty suit, kind of an empty mind, actually. And so you're kind of if she comes in, you know, you, nobody even knows if he'll make it through four years, much less. You know, I'm not talking about dying, but you know, he's mm-hmm. mentally, un, you know, not not hitting on all cylinders. And uh, so you, you think about what what are some worst-case scenarios that can happen. And uh, well, the energy thing, is, is, it's just uh, terrifying to me how naive uh, they purport to be about energy reality, mm-hmm. where, you know, when you look at the fact of the matter, we get, Three percent of our energy. I'm talking about total energy. Three percent or less 
from wind and solar. And when, when they talk about renewables, they're always always talking about wind and solar. So, so to go to so-called carbon neutral, we're going to replace 90, another ninety-seven percent of our energy mm-hmm. with sunbeams and windmills that have about a fourteen-year life, and the, the sunbeams, uh, solar power, loses energy about seven percent per year as it as the panels degrade, and wind is just like solar is is intermittent. It has a very short uh, life in terms of building these huge turbines. I don't think you ever get the energy out of them that you put into building them. Right. And uh, and if you can try to cover the whole planet with 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 windmills, you know there are only certain sites that are even you know reasonable sites for wind, and then you get about fifteen percent if you're lucky in the good sites of the output that they're designed for. Yeah, and and the notion then we're simultaneously we're gonna we're gonna build all these electric vehicles and then magically we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna recharge those those vehicles with electricity and probably recharge my nights from I guess moonbeams because the <laughs> sunbeams won't be there exactly and and, and you've got to and and to build all these these cars these these electric vehicles. We're going to have to have all these batteries, and the batteries have rare earth materials in them that mostly come from China. That's good luck with that. Yeah, you know, and 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 the you know, it's just it is just a fool's errand. Parenthetically, on one hand, you say, well, you say, well, no, nobody could be really that stupid, could they? And you say, well, I guess so. Yeah. It is amazing. I, I, I was riding in Boston, uh, in the Boston area, actually, down uh, uh, Route 3, I think it was. In any event, there was a, a windmill there, one of these solar, one of these uh, wind uh, machines. And it's just so unsightly, first of all. But second of all, if you're near one of them, it makes a sound. It has this sound that could actually, I think, destroy your hearing or, or, or drive you nuts. Well, it'll, it'll do both. And, uh, it's this very low frequency sound, mm-hmm. and and some of it's not even audible. You don't even hear it, and it makes people sick, literally sick. Yeah. And so if you have if you have these anywhere near your home that they put in, it just destroys your 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 home value. Yeah. Because nobody wants to be you know, anywhere near one near these things, and so there's one thing out there out in a mesa in West Texas, but. You can't, you know, you can't build these things, and you know, all you have to do is look at the European experience where they've done this. They have brownouts and, and energy shortages, and the electricity bills have gone three or four times higher than ours in this country, and and uh, and then they're going to get rid of fracking. Yeah, and and so, tell me how you're going to run your industries. Tell me how you're going to how you going to how you going to power the industries to build all these. Obama cars, so I guess they're now they're they're, they're you know they're they're, they're going to we're going to replace our our vehicles. Our watermelon trucks now going to be in this really sexy uh, deal made by Tesla. Yeah, and uh, and it's going to have a very long extension cord that goes from some windmill somewhere. 
so they could drive it into the city and deliver the watermelons, I guess. <laughs> Professor, uh, you, uh, interesting point, though. Whatever happened to nuclear power? It's certainly, we're not building plants here. We, and I know the experience that, that we had in uh, Russia uh, with the meltdown, and, we, and, and Japan, by the way, with the... Uh, tsunami but uh is nuclear is nuclear power dead well it shouldn't be because you know the, even the you know where, where they've had the issues these are antiquated this is 30 year old technology mm-hmm. and so the, so we have now pebble bed uh, uh, pebble bed reactors and other kind of systems that they don't have the meltdown problem and they can they can uh, replenish, you know. Re- yeah, they can uh, they can re- replenish the, the fuel, and uh, and so on. So, but they're not for they're not for everywhere. Yeah. You know, they're right now. They pres- you know, we used to have a, I think a couple of years ago about 104 active ancient uh, nuclear plants in this country. Now we've got. We're into the nineties now, and uh, we're not replacing them. So, yeah, it's that's certainly something that would be intelligent to do. And then, of course, uranium one. Hillary Clinton, you know, sold a huge, huge amount of our uranium to to Russia. You know. uh, how does that, that help us? It, indeed, it, it, you just brought up something that. How does that go unpunished? How, how does, and it's of course it was it was agreed that it shouldn't leave the uh, the United States, but it did. It was shipped away. All these these are these are crimes in my in my opinion. It's just uh, really unfortunate. The point being though that uh, and I just encourage our listeners to read your book, Scared Witless: The Prophets and Prophets of Climate Doom, addressing this whole issue of climate change and uh, how it's being promoted it is a religion and uh professor bell i think you've just done a great job of exposing the reality of the situation here and uh coming back to the point that right now our carbon-based fuels actually uh help the planet they don't hurt the planet i mean we need we need to take make sure that we don't have uh, smog and uh, have all get the particulates out of the air and all that we want clean water and clean air but carbon dioxide is good not bad not only that but the notion that wind and solar are clean energy, when you look at how the solar panels ultimately wind up and, and, and they've got heavy metals in them and they wind up in landfills and you have the, you know, the, the huge amount of uh, materials that go into building these, these, wind, these wind towers that are 400 feet tall and just some gigantic things and they wind up you know, in, in, in a heap somewhere. And, and again... Fourteen years, and, and they're and they're over with. Yeah, you put them offshore; it's even less because of the salt water. So you know, it's there's no rhyme or reason. And you say, well, you know, ultimately they can't really be that stupid, can they? And they say, well, damn, it looks like it looks like they can. <laughs> and, and 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 you got and that brings up Kamala Harris and say, well, you know, how's that going to work out? Yeah. So, it is a train wreck. Uh, God help us. Uh, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, President Trump will be reelected. At least give us four more years of uh, an a- approach to free markets and uh, keeping our economy healthy. So, again, the name of the book, How Everything Happened, Including Us, uh, I found it on Kindle. Uh, and, uh, Professor, actually, I-, I couldn't find it on Amazon, so it's not there yet. Uh, I-, I checked yesterday. So, 
Maybe. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, uh, what I found out is I was able to, uh, on my Kindle, it said, hey, you can uh, uh, read this, uh, the opening chapter, so kind of f- find out about the book. But I couldn't buy it on Kindle, but it said go to Amazon. I went to Amazon, and I couldn't find it. So maybe talk to your publisher, for get him, <laughs> because I want to read oh. the book. <laughs> I'll follow up on that today. All right. Professor, I really thank appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with uh, Keith Flaw, the founder of the uh, Florida Citizens Alliance. Uh, Michael Cannon is going to join us from the Cato Institute. He's a specialist in health care. We'll visit, of course, with Seton Motley and uh, the former mayor of, of uh, Naples, Bill Barnett. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>